press play. Curtain up an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I'm Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, you know we're together again. Again. And I do want to talk to you because we're always together. So much (laughs) happens, though, that we don't experience together. And then I forget to ask you what you think of certain things. Yeah. And one of those things is the movie Nope. Oh, right, because you saw it. Now, I don't know if our guest has seen it or has any interest in seeing it. Okay, but this, of course, is a spoiler-free zone. Always, always. I don't know how one could really spoil the movie other than, you know, there's certain things. Um, What did you think? I loved it. Yeah? I thought it was great. It was the least scary of, like, I thought Us was way scarier. Oh, yeah. Us was, like, the scariest movie I've ever seen. Really? At the beginning of Us, when the little girl... It's like the flashback to, like... Okay, you just get... It, I just got, like, a weird chill, when so young, I, maybe I do agree. When young Lupita is, like, at the carnival and gets lost, and then I don't want to give too many spoilers, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then cut to, like, the present-day storyline in Us uh-huh. when they're at the family, like, beach house or whatever. I only uh-huh. saw it once, so this is all just me pulling from my memory. I know. When they're at the family beach house, and all of a sudden the kid's, like, there's a family... In the driveway. In the driveway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that was in the trailer, it but in the trailer. holy shit, that scared the pants off Well, me. what I loved about that movie was that, that we, we saw it opening weekend, and the audience was so invested. You know, everyone really wanted to see it, but there was a creepy guy walking in and out of the theater the whole time, and it wasn't a worker. That was disturbing. It he was probably scared. He was tethered to something. Oh my God. Anyways, nope. Loved it. I thought it was more of like a Western thriller than like a horror yeah, movie. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I'm still not sold on a plot detail but I guess I can't say because it's a spoiler. Yeah. But it was great. I mean, Kiki Palmer. It was amazing. I love her. Yeah. I thought it was just really, really well written. Like, everything I think had in, had was intentional to it. Even the whole Gordy thing, which, again... That's where my know, question so comes in okay, about okay, the Gordy okay. thing. Now... Uh, Every time they said nope in the film, yeah. I, I was that meme of people being like, when they say the title yeah, in yeah. the movie, because it was the perfect title was, for this yeah, movie. I was like, oh. And when you see it, you'll know why they called it yeah. that. You know? I laughed whenever he would say, usually it was Daniel Kaluuya who would say nope. He's amazing. Yeah, he was perfect. Kiki was perfect. Newcomer Brandon Perea was perfect. And hot. Well, yeah, I knew I knew that that was what you were going to say to me after the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I love? That he was like a short king giving off really hot energy, which yeah. of course... We aspire. It was a short king summer for you. It, it was short king spring. Oh, okay. So I don't know what summer is. All right, all right. Well, listen, it was. It's been a Sondheim summer in New York. I <laughs> think that that's another thing we could say. Wow. For a brief shining moment, we had two Sondheim revivals on Broadway directed by women. Wow. One of which won five Tony Awards. I want to say it was the winningest musical at the Tonys this past year. And, I mean, we've been obsessed since we saw it in March 2020. We saw, like, the third preview. Oh, my God. Yeah. Rain was not involved yet. Rain has been what everyone's talking about on Twitter, the rain of it all. I know. I wonder if our guest has seen the discourse. I love... (laughs) Okay, we'll actually get into it. Yeah. I want to get into it. But, of course, we chatted with Matt Doyle, pre-company. We We chatted with Jen Samard during... Like in the ramp up of the Tony's campaign, and now we have sort of a um an exit interview. Wow, have you today with one of as they're called the boyfriends? One of the boyfriends, one yes. of one of Broadway's boyfriends, and, oh, yeah. and one of Bobby's boyfriends. Yes, and his name is also Bobby. I'm getting confused. I wonder if that was ever was that ever weird. I mean, okay, what are we, we can talk about. <laughs> yeah, what what Bobby? Bob, oh yeah, hey, okay, I'm, okay, let's get into it. I'm ready. So our guest today, Dylan, mm-hmm. he is one of Broadway's freshest talents, a heartthrob, who most recently appeared as PJ in the Tony Award-winning revival of Stephen Sondheim's Company. Before singing Another Hundred People on The Great Bright Way, he made his mark as the leading man, Colosiero, in the musical version of A Bronx Tale, which was his Broadway debut. Audiences will recognize our guest from My Fair Lady at Bay Street Theater, starting here, starting now at the York, Greece at Paper Mill Playhouse, and his three seasons at the Muni, including the regional premiere of Jersey Boys, Les Mis as Angel Ross, opposite Norm Lewis, and a revised adaptation of Lerner and Lowe's Paint Your Wagon. He also starred in Last Days of Summer at the George Street Playhouse, the all-male A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum at Two River Theater, and the world premiere of Ken Ludwig's a comedy of tenors. His film debut was in Barry Jenkins' If Beale Street Could Talk, and he's appeared on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, The Code, Madam Secretary, and more. 
his debut solo album, Along the Way, is available now, courtesy of Broadway Records, and he will be performing a live concert event on August 15th at Birdland at 7 p.m. Eastern. Please welcome to drama, Bobby, Bobby Conti. My, my goodness, well done getting that intro out. I'm winded. I was tiring just listening to it. I know, I'm like stressed. <laughs> you've, even though we describe you as being fresh, you've, you've done a lot. Very, very, very lucky. Very, very yeah. lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have the grays in my hair to prove it. But your haircut is fresh as well because you just chopped it all off. You're, you're giving Adina Menzel when she bleached her hair blonde at the end of If Then in wow. summer 25th. Did she do that? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Okay. okay I'll, I'll have to show, share photos. Yeah, she wanted she to look like Jen Colella. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> it's amen. Amen. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's so nice to meet you, Bobby. It's a pleasure to meet you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was it, the it, the haircut was planned um, uh, in the final week. My hair supervisor put me in contact with um, a, a fantastic woman who uh, was going to donate it to a, a client of hers that has alopecia. So it oh, was sweet. You know, I grew it. I, it was two and a half years that we had grown it out. Every now and then, we would cut off the dead ends just to make it healthy. But I learned all about hair products. I learned about the after shower curling conditioner cream that you put in and beard oil and all kinds of madness. And so it was nice to know that it was going to be in service of, of something else afterwards. Yeah. Cause there was a bit of a goatee as well, right? Was it a, was it a full, like little, like a beard? I can't, I, one of the things I've learned having never grown a beard before is that I can't grow in a full thing. Okay. I have little bald patches here below my chin oh, no. and it will connect on the right side, but not the left side. And so I had to do all this weird little shaving to make sure it was symmetrical. And it was <laughs> all, ve all very bizarre. I I'm not a real man yet. <laughs> I can't grow a full beard yet. <laughs> Now, I'm so curious, was there ever the, a question about you'll wear a wig in the show or did you always knew you want, wanted to do your natural hair? If you saw it pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. um, Bunny Christie, the great designer of our show, had told me I think a little too late to grow up my hair. So they put a man bun wig in the back oh. of my head. Um, and and cut my hair really short, except the top, so that the top could connect to that wig. I do remember that. And then when the pandemic happened, it just kept going on and on. I said, "Well, I'll just keep growing and see where we end up." And after a year and a half later, it was a pretty long length, so we did um, half up in a man bun, and the other half we were letting droop down. And so it was easier just because I didn't have to put a, a wig in every day. Yeah. Oh, that's so lucky. We, you know. I Company was one of the only shows that I remember we were constantly reassured throughout the pandemic. <laughs> we will be opening on Broadway. Like that was like a, a sure thing. And you know what? In retrospect, you, you know, I'm you guys, I'm talking to you right now where I should be heading to my theater right now. Because usually I would get to the theater about an hour before, say hello to Chris Sieber, who is on my left, and my dress roommate Terrence, who's on my immediately to my right. Um, I put on this company onesie that Manu Narayan organized for all of us to buy that has my name and 35 on the back. I love and, that. Um, usually Katrina and Itai and Greg Hildreth and I would um, go down and we'd warm up on the stage before half hour. So it's, it's, it, I feel I'm grateful to be filling this time talking with, with new friends and not sitting, uh, sitting alone oh. in some way, but it's, it's very, that's why, that's why I'm wearing the onesie right now with you guys. Just yes. some semblance of security. <laughs> I, I love the onesie. One day when you're done with it, unless you're a very sentimental person, I'm sure it would make bank at the Broadway flea. Make all of $10, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've seen a few people have already gotten a fine line tattoo of that martini glass that's sort of like the oh, really? logo for Ooh. it. Yeah, I've seen some stuff online. The, the creativity of Broadway fans never ceases to amaze me. I know, I know. Wow, just thinking about the few names that you mentioned already and the whole group that was assembled. I mean, there's a lot of talk about this Avengers of, of theater and into the woods, but also Avengers of theater. Well, well if, if we already have the Avengers, though, Justice League of theater in sure. not the movies, though, not the movies <laughs> of Justice League, the comic or the not cartoon, the Snyder cut, the Snyder the cartoon. Cut? Yes, the movies are much maligned, but we'll go with like the actual, you know, the comic versions. Justice League is what this company revival was. And so congrats to you, Bobby. I feel like this really solidified you as a name on Broadway because we all remember A Bronx Tale. Connor and I were obsessed with A Bronx Tale. Yeah, well, we'll get into it. Yeah. But anyway, continue your thought. And so I just, I hats off to you. Does anyone still wear a hat? Because you oh. were so incredible in this show. 
Oh, that's very sweet. Now, you know, I, I don't feel that way whatsoever. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we were talking before this started about uh, Rob McClure is one of my best friends in the world. He is a great advocate for someone who says you never, you never make it. You just continue hashing it out because um, uh, that would create a sense of complacency in your mind. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes away the notion of how at the end of the day, we are still just so profoundly lucky to win the lottery every time we get these jobs. Mm-hmm. So maybe what it solidifies more is how, uh, is this the luck of being involved in the in the lineage and the lexicon of this show, let alone with with Steve and with George Firth, but to be a part of the history of this show is overwhelming. I got an email last night from Pam Myers, who ah. was saying like, she's like, I'm sure you're pretty devastated right now, but please keep in touch. She wrote me this incredibly sweet thing because one of the highlights of this experience was meeting her. Yeah. She came to when we did this PBS documentary about the making of our show mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Uh, and it was incredible to piece that pe- part of history together. And because mm-hmm. I'm a nerd similar to you guys, I-, I knew I knew many things already. But to learn firsthand experiences from her of how that was built out of not- that this role did not exist before her. She walked into the room auditioning, I think, for Susan. And they said, well, that's not going to work. And we don't know how you're going to exist in this show, but we will fit you into the entity. And another hundred people was written for her. This scene that's truly ridiculous. It's just a person pontificating different worldviews, was just built around how idiosyncratic and, and exceptional of a human being she was. Mm-hmm. And to think that I'm a small part of that conversation is very overwhelming to think about. And so to, to be in that Justice League or whatever that's existed for 50 plus years, I think is just a, a, a testament to real luck and hopefully hard work and dedication meeting that luck. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's so cool that you got to meet Pam and and there's that connection there. Um, I remember hearing that story once. Wasn't she like fresh out of college or like very young? She said it was her first audition for a Broadway show right out of college. That's incredible. Wild. Incredible. Yeah, that's that's really really special. It's it's crazy the company's been around that long too. I mean, it was it was pre-pandemic. It was going to open on Steve's ninetieth birthday, mm-hmm. and it was going to be the fiftieth anniversary of it opening because it opened in nineteen seventy. Okay, uh, so there were all these celebrations constantly happening. Yeah. Gosh, I wish we had an official recording of you singing another hundred people, Bobby, because it is so amazing. I mean, your voice soars. Yeah. And the sound design was great in the theater too. Yeah, we had a lot, we had a lot of things helping us and a lot of things serving us in that um, theater. It's, it's lucky when you're part of shows that you feel like take care of you as you mm-hmm. do it, not only in the writing, but in the design and just in the vision that Marianne had. It's all at a certain point when they showed us the, the sort of on the first day, they show you a little, um, what is the word I'm looking for? A set fold out, a mock-up. Oh various, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, version and we're all sitting there weeping because it told the story so beautifully and fully visually that we just go oh we just need to stand still and speak clearly you know what i mean Mm. we don't have to many times you do a show and you feel like you have to put a you're pushing a boulder up a up a mountain Mm -hmm. you're trying to make something work that on the page innately doesn't and that's the beauty of working on new material and being in the creative process is how to make something alive that may not be fully uh, ready and present on the page. This is already done on the page because it's been tested and proven for 50 years. And because it had been tested and proven that the concept work by Marianne in London, we just got to mm-hmm. step into that with our unique and fresh perspectives as the the Justice League of Broadway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we I you know we're we're jumping into so many things already but we've kind of gotten where you would have been tonight a week ago. Um but I'm just kind of curious so you guys closed the show on Sunday. Are you well? I I, I appreciate how you phrase that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um I'm I'm a little uh, I'm a little sorry grateful. Ooh. To bring it back to that wow, is so wow, many wow. of our favorite song in this production. Um, those lyrics every night um, hit profoundly, I think, more than any other one particular, at least at least for, for a number of us in that building, because um, it was traumatic for so many of us. But you ultimately have to let the pendulum swing back to gratitude because, A, we were a show that got to come back at all. Think of how many of our colleagues were in entities and shows pre that never came to fruition. Mm-hmm. 
we were the last production of Steve's that of his writing that he got to see on Broadway and he held court with us after the first preview and told stories for hours and hours. And while he seemed, um, you know, physically, while he, you know, people had to make sure he was okay as he was walking, mm -hmm. he seemed as sharp as, as, um, as if he was a 20 year old and, and the way he spoke and the way he conversed with people. You just gave me the chills. It's a memory that we'll try to hold on to for as long as memory serves. And so there are so many positives and so many real blessings that you have to hold on to that even when the bittersweet will eventually come in, of course, because it's closing before any of us had thought it would. Yeah. And it's it's always hard to say goodbye to a thing and all and but also say goodbye to a thing knowing that it's really the end it's not like in 2020 when we were saying goodbye but thinking oh we're gonna come back in two weeks or we're gonna come back in six months or i don't know if it's gonna happen at all it's realizing now it's ending and now we just move on to another chapter of our life it's not the be all end all it's it's just the end of an incredibly emotional and beautiful chapter in all of our lives but it's it's now just a continuation versus it being a real standstill as was as it was for everyone. Sure. So that those those that dichotomy undeniably exists, especially now we're only in day two right. of this feeling. <laughs> but I'm I'm especially if I'm going to talk about this in public and talk about it with new friends, I'm going to choose to hold on to that gratitude. Sure. Well, we appreciate it. Was there like any sort of closing party or how does that work with a, with a show closing? Like, is that I guess it depends. Um, uh, from entity to entity for us, we went to Hurley's oh, after, wow. and then um, we went to Pebble Bar, this new place that's by Radio mm -hmm. City. Um, oh. But, you know, and, and it depended. Some people, it, it, a, a quick thing I learned uh, with this group of extraordinary people is that, especially within the principal cast, I was the only person not married with kids or living with some significant other of multiple years. I learned this on day two of rehearsal. It was on Tuesday and we finished at six. I go, hey, who wants to go get a drink? Mm -hmm. Everyone said, I'm, I'm going home to my kid. <laughs> I'm going home. To my... And no, it's, it's, I don't mean to say no one's malicious. No one is cold. Yeah. It's that everyone had very full lives outside. And I realized, oh, and not that my life, knock on wood, isn't hopefully full, <laughs> but I lead a very different daily life than sure. everyone else in that building. So there are many people too that once the show is done, I'm going home. We said goodbye backstage. We said our comeuppance. We are lovely, respectful, inclusive people backstage, but I'm going to go off to my life yeah. versus I, you know, what, what did I learn uh, from the uh, immeasurable number of things I learned from Nick Cordero is you know how to go be the life of the party and create f uh, a family and a community of the people that you work with every day. And that means a continuation into the bar next door or into dinner somewhere else. Or if you go all around the country and the world together to, to keep that family unit together. Um, and that's always easier to do when you're <laughs> in your 20s and have no one to go home to. Right. Wow. Oh, that's so interesting. I guess I hadn't thought about that. You know, having been in A Bronx Tale, it was mostly a younger cast or I mean, half the cast was at least a little bit younger. Well, Bronx Tale was such a uh, was such a weird entity because um, you had all these pockets of people. You had two little nine year olds <laughs> who were getting tutored during the day. And then you had you had Nick and Richard Blake who were these core veterans oh, yeah. that knew how to had done had been around uh, the circuit for a long time and knew how to lead a show on stage but more importantly how to create a family unit backstage you had a lot of people like me in their 20s who were making their debuts and this was a big thing then you had a lot of 50 plus year olds who had maybe stepped away from the business for a long time but then were brought back in because these roles were so particular and unique michael barra playing um, uh, playing Jojo the Whale is like such a niche particular actor and has found profound success throughout every aspect of the entertainment world because he is so unique in his type, mm -hmm. but hadn't been on Broadway in all these years. This guy, Paul Salvatoriello, had become a lawyer and had come back. He, I think he had gone to like an open call and they had brought him in. And so it was these <laughs> wild different pockets of people all existing in this big house at the Longacre. At the Longacre is a usually a playhouse. So to have a musical with 30 plus people in it, it felt like we were barging into each other backstage. So you had to create that family unit. Um, and this is a much company was a much more adult group of people who had full lives. And, um, you know, no, I don't think anyone in that building was making their Broadway debut. It was mm -hmm. a, a real set of um, incredible professionals that more times than not, I was just trying to shut my mouth and, and listen with open ears and, and learn as much as I could. Did wow. Patty give out wisdom backstage? She's been in the business for so long. She's such an icon. Would she ever just like say things and drop little nuggets or was she kind of just doing her thing? 
Uh, I think she would, but if she did, it would ever it would be in private. It mm. wouldn't be big group pontificating things. If she was doing group pontificating things, it was just jokes or weird little uh -huh. inside bits we were doing backstage. Uh, you know, something silly she'd do with Clay, Manu, and I every day during You Could Drive a Person Crazy. She would be backstage cheering her head off, but the only thing she cared about is if we could close our three doors at the same time at the end of the number mm -hmm. and have a clean clap instead of a clap, 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 yeah. or a clap, clap, clap. And so and we'd finish the song and she'd be like, ah, that was okay. <laughs> or I was, she's like, yes, boys, yes, that was great. But, and she, but she would always say the number was beautiful. The number was perfect. Door slam wasn't great. <laughs> every, it was every night. Wow. So just, I, I, and it honestly helped me doing that number, which could, which it was just many times such a bear to get through physically, to build the stamina in order to do the movement with that kind of singing. The most nervous I got was just like, can I close the door in time? <laughs> everything else became a breeze. Yeah. Wow. That's what they say. You know, if you're working on something and it's challenging, work on something a little bit more challenging and the thing before will seem a little bit easier. So maybe that's, totally. yeah, maybe that's like level setting for you on stage. Gosh, I remember seeing that number for the, when, when we saw it, when it, you guys came back in December again, it, it was like, watching you know one direction or the or in sync or the backstreet boys like on stage the crowd went wild it was truly a showstopper yeah. which is amazing i mean you know you're like in the right place when you're on broadway and this sondheim song that was written how many years ago is getting that kind of reaction out of an audience like again very bizarre <laughs> and, and you also have to, and, and understanding too where how that song fits in the history of that show how we were completely changing the arrangement of it because we couldn't go do 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 uh, and how to how to fit it in this modern context and in a different vocal arrangement for three guys yeah. and how to make the character of Bobby a part of the trio and how we're going back and forth in this dichotomy of wanting to choke her and, and, and break her apart and then say we are so madly in love with you and the dichotomy of how that can hopefully be hilarious for an audience. Oh yeah, it worked so well. I mean, that three-part harmony was genius. I, I, I've seen a lot of the backstage videos and it seems like you, Manu, and Clay really hit it off so well and we're just an amazing brotherhood. I love those boys. Yeah. I, I love, you know, I think you, it's, you have to. I think it's your job backstage to create that family unit and sometimes it's harder than others. And with those boys, it's not work at all. I just yeah. I, um, I adore them. Talk about people I'll miss or little bits that I'll miss every day mm -hmm. seeing them. I'm curious, you are, we're the youngest guy, I guess, in the group. And how did, how did you even end up in this, this show? Like, was it just an open call or was it a, an appointment that maybe your agents connected you? Like I, I know Matt Doyle had worked with Marion Elliott before and he told us that that was right. sort of how he got in and I am um, the casting director is a woman named Cindy Tolan who cast me in my first film. And so I think my agent was pushing to get me an appointment and she said, he, I, I, he, I think he's a little young, but I think maybe because she knew me, she said, but I'll let him come in. And so I did one appointment just for her, originally for Andy, for Clay's part. Oh. And she said, that's great, come back for Marianne. And I met Marianne and Joel and Liam again, all doing the Andy things. And it was, um, it felt instantly like, um, like you're at the first day of rehearsal, like you're just beginning a collaboration versus scene. If I'm, if I, am I doing the right thing or am I giving you what you want it to say? Not what's well, we're figuring out what the thing is together because neither of us know what the thing is. And then that, and then like weeks went by and then I got a, an email, I think, the day before I was supposed to come in for this big final callback saying, can you learn PJ instead? And there's going to be a dance call with 15 plus guys who are all in for the boyfriends. And so I show up and you see all, you know, all these people I greatly admire and I've been up for, for other things before. And we're all just saying, all right, let's do it. Many of us, I don't, I bet the last, we couldn't remember the last time we were all in a dance call. Uh, it was, you know, it, it was bizarre too. It, on on a logistical level, I was doing a reading of a new play, uh, a two-hander with Beth Level called "Conversations with Mother" that I was supposed to present that afternoon. But then I got this thing saying you need to come in in the morning, so it was a logistical nightmare to figure out how I could do the dance call, <laughs> be the first person that did my PJ things, and be in the first combination of the trio to hear how the different voices would sound and drive a person crazy. Because many of us were asked to sing different vocal parts and see what was the best blend, and then run off and do this two-hander with Beth. And I think honestly, that was maybe one of the reasons I got the job just because I was already in such a creative mind mm -hmm. of trying to figure out something out of nothing. 
um, versus, you know, you can ask Clay, you can ask Clay when he was there, he had to sit around for five, six hours while they pair people with every possible combination of the three people to see what diff what vocal parts would work best. And I was lucky and got to get out of that nightmare. <laughs> so was Clay there that day? Clay was there that day. And Kyle Dean? Kyle Dean was there that day. Okay. Um, Jeff Creedy, Nikki's husband, was there that day, who ended up coming in and playing David yeah. for the last month of company. Um, all, all, all kinds of incredible incredible individuals that you would know yeah. that I deeply admire. A lot of different types too, I'd imagine, if they were trying yes. different things. Well, a lot of different types, but also a lot of, at the same time, a lot of people that you see uh, similarly going up for the same kind of thing, yeah. all yeah. hashing this out. But what you realize more times or not when you see these people is that, well, we're, we would all bring wildly different idiosyncratic takes to these characters. And so how, how can you compare sure. um, each other to anything? Like we're in such a subjective art form. So it's not a matter of who's talented or who's, who's the best. It's just saying, do, are you lucky enough to happen to fit the mold that these particular creative people are trying to fill for this specific world that they've already created? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a way you can really distance yourself from jealousy or ego or trying to be maniacal in the situations just just sit there and catch up with your friends right. who you may not get to see in many other contexts do you feel like people viewed you differently with the longer hair in auditions what well, I, I didn't have the longer hair back then my hair was pretty short like this yeah um, but yes going through these nine months with longer hair definitely created a different type <laughs> i was definitely going in for different roles than i had in the past and my favorite thing is that whenever I'd walk through Midtown, I swear to you, I have been stopped more than a dozen times by strangers asking if I sell marijuana. Wow! <laughs> wow! 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 And I'll and I'll they're, they're like, you got any? And I go, no. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I I'm looking, brother. Right. Exactly. Because well, you also had the the painted nails, which I see there's some remnants. Now. Yes, yeah. the, the paint was taking a little time to come off, but yeah. all the tattoos are gone. But yes, yeah. it was a, it was a, it was like a social experiment. It was yeah. this fun thing to walk around and I feel like be a very different kind of person than I am out in the regular world. I'm a bit, I'm a bit um of a of a private guy. I'm I'm uh, I'm pretty nerdy and dorky, um, and to feel like someone who considers himself the soul of New York and walks around with a great deal of confidence and probably obliviousness and a lack of self-awareness of how he's coming across and how he's speaking, but really is well-intentioned, um, which was, was fun, if nothing else. Oh, I can imagine. Well, I'm curious about the about the real Bobby, the guy behind all of this. And and sometimes it's helpful to to paint the full picture by going back to maybe the beginning or, or a time when we were still, you were still kind of forming your interests and your identity. And we like to call it the Ring of Keys moment and Connor will explain it. Right, well, we borrowed the term from Fun Home because it's about that moment of recognition where you realize there was something within you that you saw in art and you needed to combine these two worlds and be a part of it. Do you feel like you had that ring of keys moment, Bobby, baby? Of I'm, I feel like it happens all the time. Mm. I was ju I just went um, with the tie. We just watched Marcel the Shell, yeah. this new movie that's out. <laughs> I had that watching that this afternoon. Um, but probably from my earliest recollection, I was a big, um, I was a big Disney n nerd as a kid. Yes. And so I would, um, I would memorize these animated movies and could recite them back verbatim as a kid. Like a shadow play. Uh, fully, or like this, this wasn't a Disney movie, but, um, do you remember the animated movie, A Bug's Life? Oh, yeah. yes. There was, um, if you can probably tell now I'm a pretty odd individual when I was a child, uh, my preschool teachers thought I was on the spectrum. Okay. Was thought that I, I, there's a, I'm something, there's maybe a little uh, chemical imbalance because I would be doing these weird um, things throughout um, playtime. I would uh, I would see these seven dwarfs up on a shelf and I would reach for them and spaz out. <laughs> and so my mother, when she, they told her this, was like, why don't you come over to my home and you'll see us having dinner and maybe see Bobby function in everyday life here and if you have the same thing. And uh, we were staying at dinner and she said, Bobby, would you like to say grace tonight? And I proceeded to recite this speech from a bug's life that the main ant gives. He's like, we are all connected from the tallest, from the grandest waterfall to this tiniest ant. We are all equal living things and deserve to be treated. So it's some bullshit. And the, the, the teacher is <laughs> weeping and crying. And my mom, who doesn't know this, is going, who is, what is my son spouting right now? This is amazing. 
And then after dinner, I'm watching a movie. I'm probably watching a Bug's Life, and she hears that speech and goes, "Oh, he's, he's Flick. Just... He's Flick. Flick. That's right. <laughs> flick was the yeah, the Flick. Yeah, you were Flick, right? Wasn't that his name? You know better than me. I have not watched that movie in a good decade. <laughs> me either, which is embarrassing. I'm pretty no. sure it's Flick because we we similarly were big Bug's Life fans and had all the toys. We're yeah. just. I just remember it was better than the Woody Allen movie Ants. Yes. Right. Yes. Which right. Is almost lost to history. You're right. Probably mm-hmm. for many, probably a good reason. For, for many, many. Reasons, for many Woody and otherwise. Um, no, I know our, our memories are like scary good. Sometimes we would do that too, where we would recite like full monologues from films. Maybe yeah. it's because yeah. we're Virgos. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Leo. My birthday is tomorrow. Funnily enough. <gasps> oh my gosh! Happy, happy early birthday. I, I turned thirty years old. So it's the it's the, the the it's the cutting of the hair. It's we're beginning a full new chapter tomorrow. Yes, totally. And your oh, Saturn has been returning, so big changes are maybe going to start leveling out. Yeah, I, I don't know what that means, but isn't that a very Leo thing to not know anything about astrology except your own sign? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I, so I cool. love Leos. Leos are great. Wait, so were you 90, 90, 1992? Okay, yeah, because we're we'll be twenty nine at the end of the month. And you went to Michigan. Oh, what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did go to Michigan. Go blue, baby. Uh-huh. Go Bucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I see, okay. I was ready for when this was going to happen. So <laughs> finally, when we beat Ohio State this year, it was the first time in a decade. Yeah, in as long as I was a Buckeye fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, my freshman year was um, the year we had gotten closest when we had Denard Robinson, this wild quarterback who had a cannon for an arm, but was really inaccurate, but it was a great rusher. But then but we had Brady Hoke come in as our coach and was sort of yes. a nightmare. But I left before the new Jim Harbaugh era. Yes, But yes. I'm from San Francisco, the Bay, so I knew Jim Harbaugh as the coach of the Niners when Colin Kaepernick was there for that little bit and him bringing up that person into our consciousness. Yes. I did not even uh, make that connection. Wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's totally wild. But, you know, I mean, good for you. Yes, Congratulations <laughs> on your life. <laughs> well, listen, so you're, you know, from spent some time in Ann Arbor. You were part, yes. Were you part of the musical theater program? Yes. Okay. So were you the one of the only like actual people who cared about the rivalry then? You, you were indoctrinated and you, you better care about it. Uh-huh. I think so many of us too went to the games and maybe it started to fall off as we got older throughout the season. But I, our, my tight knit friends, you know, I lived with um, seven people for a majority of my time there in a house wow. that we called Broho. <laughs> who are still my, my best friends to this day. I'll see them tomorrow. Yeah, I know. I was going to ask you what you're doing for your birthday. Yeah, you know, well, I'm a big tennis player and pickleball player. Oh, fun. And so, well, you know, I have a whole community of friends here that are in that world, and we'll we'll hang out and do that for a majority of the afternoon. Oh, that's awesome. I remember when Samar, when I'd be doing my hair and Jen Samar would be getting her wig on, we'd just talk about pickleball for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, all right, have a good show. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. Wow. So, you know, you, I, you, I think you're you're selling yourself short by calling yourself weird, which actually, I don't know if that's a bad thing, but. No, I, I say weird and odd and a. A positive connotation, but you know what? It's funny enough that you mentioned that. It took me time to requalify that word in my brain because uh, I think I was told it a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, now you sit and go, well, "Why would you want to be anything else?" Mm-hmm. Because my goodness, to be if if what I would hate to be told if if I was ever said something I did was bland mm. or um, not unrememberable. Or, or what's the proper, proper word I'm trying to say? Forgettable. Forgettable. Uh, so many and so many times if people come and see my work, <laughs> whether they connect with it or not, I, I have a feeling they go, well, it's, I can't help but not remember you mm-hmm. upon doing your work. Because if nothing else, your job is to create a take. This is, you know, I, I know we're jumping all around, but it's, it's okay. okay. This, uh, life is nonlinear, baby. Yeah. <laughs> If I'm holding on to any mantras that Marianne would pass down, is that the way to honor the entity that you're a part of, especially if you're a nerd like me and a real historian, is to not walk in with your hands up and say, "I, I don't know what to do," or "I'm so in, uh, I so revere what's been done before me. How could I possibly fit into it?" Is you have to do a bold take. You have to fully own what you do, and in that way, you service what's come before you. Because if you try to do what comes before you, no one will care because it's already been done brilliantly. Mm. Your job is to add a new element to the equation and hopefully back it up with some um, some literacy and some intellect and some eloquence, but then not apologize 
for it and say, this is unabashedly my stamp on it. This is Marianne's stamp on company. And we do it in reverence to Stephen Sondheim. We do it in reverence to George Firth. And the way to do that fully is to create a take that is meant for people who have maybe never seen the show before and mm -hmm. more importantly may have never been to the theater before because if we don't bring in new people to the theater this art form is going to die on the vine it was already about to die on the vine during the pandemic we need to build a new kind of audience and that was a real exciting thing is that when people knew nothing about company and would give me nice compliments i'm like okay well now you need to go back and watch this amazing documentary in 1970 about the making of the cast recording yeah. and watch pam meyer sing the song and you will understand what we are a part of yeah and that was fun to say welcome to broadway i hope you come back to broadway i hope you come back to live theater oh yes um, and the way you do that is to be your full un unabashed self mm -hmm. well i think it'd be really cool to be able to say oh my first broadway show was company you know like that's exciting <laughs> about these new audiences the only sad thing is, is they probably would need to see it again you know it's like everyone always says you need to see sondheim multiple times to fully grasp it and i'm sure you were learning things through every, even with doing it constantly and hearing lyrics um when was your first introduction to the great stephen sondheim it was company it was the john doyle actor musician revival hmm. i was um a teenager and I saw it on PBS on great performances. And so again, it was very bizarre hearing a show that began with people singing my name on yeah. <laughs> going, what, what's this? All righty. And I, I was so blown away by it. And that led me down the wormhole and found immediately into the woods. Cause that was a PBS recording as well. And found Sunday in the park with George and then found passion and then found Assassins and Pacific Overtures. And, and then we're piecing together, oh, the West Side Story I've been listening to since as a child is Stephen Sondheim. The Gypsy I've been yeah. listening to is Stephen Sondheim. So, um, but the clocking it for the first time, funnily enough, was company. And that's what felt on top of many surreal things of the experience, but saying this 14-year-old kid would be losing his mind. I don't know what else that 14-year-old child could want. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That 14-year-old child is, was in his dream show. And before that, made his Broadway debut working with... His, his idol, arguably, and Bob De Niro, one of the greatest um, actors of our time or person that existed, especially within that genre of entertainment, which is of the Italian culture and of the New York culture. And so sometimes it's hard to sit here talking to you guys and go, well, what else does this kid want, for God's sake? <laughs> um, and, so, and your job is now to start dreaming new kinds of dreams, which is a, mm -hmm. a great luxury and a great privilege. Sure. Yeah, you really have worked a lot of heavy hitters what was um do you do you call him bobby De Niro? i know yeah. the people who work with him <laughs> don't call him Bo don't call him bobby no, but yeah. bob bob is, uh, okay there you definitely, go definitely if, um if you if you're sort of given permission to in a sense oh interesting um <laughs> the the first time i mean the, the clearest memory i have from him is that he, you know he's very particular about certain things and he co-directed that right Yes, with Jerry Zaks. With Jerry Zaks, I mean, another just incredible figure in our industry and beyond. That's what, what was your Bronx Tale experience like, looking back on it now? Right, with some perspective and now lucky enough having another Broadway job to compare it to. Yeah. You know, it was very meta and it continues to be meta now because, I mean, you've seen that show. That show is about a young person torn between two sort of um, intense figures in his life and ultimately trying to take the best of those people and um, making your own decisions and being able to live with your own decisions. Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, even though those figures want the same thing for that child, they only want that child to be safe and be loved and to kind of get away from some very dark areas of life, but they have different ways of trying to show him that. So I was being directed by two people who, as you said, are uh, are complete lore of the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. but are completely opposite in the way that they work. You know, I, I'm sure you've talked to people who have worked with both of them, and it's been documented for the years and years they've been out. Bob if, is a master of detail. It comes from mostly of a film world, and I think had done one other theater job that started at the public. I think it's called Cuba and His Teddy Bear, oh, and it, it was with Ralph Macchio. And I forget who else was in it. The Karate Kid. But it was at the Longacre, funnily enough. That was the only Broadway show he had done. And we were in the same theater. Huh. But he, he came from a completely different mindset and in terms of what works on a proscenium stage. But you could argue no one understands that culture and this group of people better than this man. Yeah. 
Jerry is a is a master of the musical comedy of the rhythm of language of how if you just go diddle da diddle da it will elicit a certain kind of response from an audience. There's an utter technique to it, um, and he would he will unabashedly give you a line reading because he's like simply say it this way and it will get the audience to do this. Uh -huh. Many times those are two mindsets that do not merge, and so being in the center of it, as many of us in that cast were at the center of it, you sort of parcel the best and you come out the other end of it. Um, we were in a room surrounded by giants in every regard. You had Alan Menken and Glenn Slater writing the music. You had Chaz, whose life story it was and who I was playing, writing the book. You had Tommy Mottola, who was one of the greatest music moguls of the entire world, producing the whole thing along with the Dodgers. You had Sergio Trujillo, who won a Tony right after Ain't Too Proud. And you had Ron Mellers, who had done Jersey Boys. So it's all these <laughs> icons in a room. And it was a lesson for me as a 23, 24-year-old of how to maneuver around egos, wow. of learning by example what kind of collaborator you wanted to become which is what we what we do in every aspect of life. I'm just kind of sitting here thinking about how you were able to recognize that in the room, looking around, as you said, at these giants. Well, it, it, I, I can maybe look back at it now with a little more reflection. And at the time I was, I was a little, I was a little terrified. Yeah. Were you? Oh my God. Because <laughs> you sit there going, well, I don't want to, I want to be liked. I want to be loved. I want to be affirmed. I want to be a good soldier. And part of what being a collaborator is, and I only know this based off the experiences and people I've been very fortunate enough to surround myself with in these working environments, is learning, like any relationship in life, when to concede and plant your feet and be a good soldier, when to put your foot on the gas and challenge with respect, knowing how to just build a relationship that's out of trust and out of really being able to clock someone, not feel like you're getting taken advantage of, not feeling like you're taking advantage of someone else. Sure. Um, and understanding those dynamics are constantly at play. And that is that is something we will spend the rest of our lives trying to maneuver in every aspect. Yeah. And, the, and the person who is masterful at it is Nick. And I felt so lucky I had Nick in, in many, many facets of my life. Yeah. But he in many, in many ways was a, a safeguard for me in that room to make sure that I was good and knowing that I could plant my feet when I had to and speak up when I had to, or just raise my hand when things were not clear, um, which was, it was a, 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 something you're not really taught at school in many ways, because more times not, you're just taught how to be the most prepared individual to get the job. But once you get the job, how to be a collaborator is a, is a completely different art form. And there are many different ways to go about doing it. You, I think we all have images of people who can be very egotistical, and um, soak up a lot of the energy themselves and not make it a fun working environment. Because as something like Colella would say, like we are here on this earth to take care of each other at the end of the day. That can sometimes be a tumultuous affair, but we are here to take care of each other. So if you are in a, if you are fortunate enough to be in a leadership position, how you can make sure we're all getting the work done in a way that is respectful and moving the ball forward, but still maintaining a sense of caretaking throughout it all. I love that you sort of are a sponge at the same time that, but you, you keep certain things in, you know, you don't, it's not all squeezed out of you. You, you maintain things. I mean, thinking about Nick Cordero and Richard H. Blake, and I know that they were incredible buddies as well through that whole process. I remember, you know, when Nick was battling with COVID and everything, the beautiful anecdotes that people would share about how he really created that family environment. And, and you touched upon this earlier too. I feel like it was a social education as well as a professional education when you were in that building. I completely agree. And I, but I think you could argue, you could look for that in every aspect of life if you choose to. And I mean, I mean, another meta thing about Bronx Tale is that Sonny dies mm -hmm. suddenly before Colosio was able to say goodbye to him. He he is not able to say his piece before he leaves. And the last text I have from Nick is that Nick and Amanda were in New York moving out of their apartment during the first week of previews of Company. We're going to come see the show. Company shut down. And I texted him up. I was like, well, our show just got canceled today. Want to hang out? He said, well, we're moving today. And uh, this COVID stuff is freaking me out and the baby. So, like, let's do a rain check. <sighs> I go, okay. And that's the last thing I have. And so it's... it's 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 literally I'm not able to say goodbye to this person the same way that Colosio was not able to say goodbye to this influential person in his life. It's so yeah. wild. It's super yeah. it's spooky. It's I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's law of attraction. I don't know if it's utter coincidence or I, I'm not a religious person, but I don't know if it's the 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 fear of God being instilled into you. It's um 
it's utterly wild. And I, I, all I hold on to in many ways about Nick and all of these great stories everyone has heard now, luckily, is that he's a caretaker mm-hmm. at the end of the day. It's why he was and would have been an exceptional father because um, he was a great caretaker for me in, in so many aspects of life. Thank you for sharing all that, Bobby. That's that beautiful. is, that's, I mean, you might not believe in God, but you sure believed in Flick in A Bug's Life. And that was your, <laughs> that was your uh, church as a kid. It's, 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 man, theater, theater is a church. Yes. You have, we have all signed up to a life of faith. Yeah. There is very little in our control. If we wanted control, we would all go be accountants. Yeah. <laughs> we would all, have, have you guys watched Severance? It's Not on our yet. list. It, it's, a lot of people have been telling us. I know. Guys, Severance in, 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 and Itai and Greg and I love it too is like the show of the year. It really? Is, I heard the finale is absolutely out of this world. Unbelievable. But you need, it, it, it doesn't make sense if you don't watch the whole thing. But the construct of it is that people have resigned themselves to say, when I'm at work, I am one person and I have no memory of who I am outside of work. And when I'm outside of work, I'm a completely different person. I have no memory of who I am inside of work. And what kind of personality would draw that person to do that to themselves and make that own decision? It's not like they're being forced to do it against their will. Okay. And then naturally the drama that comes up within the real world and within that workplace. And if they try to collide in any means, it is. I'm in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And the cast is great too. I mean, I I definitely, that might've been your dose of drama, but you now have to save something else. Yeah. Okay. Before we get to to dose of drama, I just want to say we did love a Bronx tale. You were amazing. Thank you for sharing everything about it. It was great. I still listen to a lot of those songs. I mean, amazing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're bops, baby. There are some bops. Yeah. And again, just one of those shows that (laughs) Alan Menken knows how to write an earworm. Oh yeah. It's crazy that it, it, landed in the season that it did and then lasted most of the other new musicals that opened that season without getting the love that it deserved at the Tonys and whatnot. I mean, I love a Tony nomination for a Broadway debut. And again, that was something that I really felt like should have gone to you that season, but. That's, that's very sweet of you to say, but that all based off what you just said and all of it's meaningless, that show didn't need award yeah. recognition to make money and turn a profit, mm-hmm. which is ultimately at its purest sense, what awards should be. It's just, right. it should be a showcase for your show to the rest of the country, if not the rest of the world. But if you don't need awards to do that, then, then you don't need them. Yeah. And co- company is a thing that especially, but so many of these shows needed it during this time of COVID where we were grasping at any way we could share the show with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And so the, the awards were, I guess, more necessary by comparison. Yeah. But it was so, I had never experienced any of it. So doing the radio, the whole Radio City process was wild. Uh, Just feeling that <laughs> energy throughout the entire, simply before when we were cast, before we had even done the show pre-pandemic, there was all this energy around it. And I'm like, this is so bizarre to be in a thing that all the, all the decision makers have pre-decided that they've liked. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm. Versus Bronx Tale felt like something we had to get people to get behind. Um, here, we didn't have to do it. We were doing Stephen Sondheim and George Firth's company for his 90th birthday, directed by Marion Elliott. Like, we got nothing to prove, <laughs> right, baby. Right. It was it was so, but it's, it, it's a, a fascinating dichotomy that to me makes utterly no sense. Mm-hmm. And I choose to have distance from it because I really, it would only give me a migraine trying to understand. Sure. <laughs> It's, it's another thing that's not in our control. Sure. I do want to talk about your solo show coming up, and I, I know I want to be conscious of your time as well. What's going on on August 15th at Birdland? Yeah, tell us everything. <laughs> tell us everything. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, we had made this booking when um, Company was still running, so that's why it was on a Monday night, because I just thought it was going to be my day off. We had, um, I had put out an album during the pandemic. I had recorded it just before we had started Company rehearsals. It's the first time that these musicians were able to play it live since we put out that album oh. almost two and a half years ago. Whoa! So it'll be um, it'll be our ten piece band, and it'll be um, hopefully. I, I mean, I don't know if you've listened to the album or not, but I, I would hope that there's some sort of story that can come out just simply by how these uh, this set list is arranged and placed together, just in how the lyrics can be in conversation with each other. But now being able to do the full story of that piece that I've created with James Sampliner will just be super, super fun. Oh my God. Yeah. And the album, for those of you who can't make it, the album is so incredible. I mean, Broadway records 
always nails it, but it is, it sounds so good. The, the range that you're able to display on this album, Bobby, oh my God, every single song on there is just incredible. And also I love the title song, which Aaron Tveit sang on YouTube. And that's how I found that song many, many years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, I, I also, if I have any secret agenda, it's wanting to bring out um, songs that may be a little less well-known by people that we all deeply admire. Mm -hmm. So Pask and Paul, who are also Michigan grads and whom I've known since I was in college, I wanted to say if I was going to sing something of theirs as much as I love Dear Evan Hansen and I love so many of the new things I'm like I want to go to Edges which you wrote when you were students at the University of Michigan and you were musical theater um, students and majors mm -hmm. and but also because if I to give some sense of what the story is about is along the way is, a, is an experience that happened to me I was a young person and a woman I was with said she wanted to have kids and as a 20 something I could not fathom have even the idea of having a child. Even I don't know if I would want it in the future, but certainly I wasn't going to be happening then. But clocking in a moment that, well, if I did want to have a kid, it would probably be this woman who's asking me to do it right in front of me. And having that be my first sort of adult breakup and my first sort of adult goodbye where there are things, there are logistical things standing in the way of just uh, fun childish love you know what i mean sure and therefore how that started um, a spiral of how i began my first couple years in new york as a as a young person and it's pretty cool now that you're doing this at 30 you know freshly 32 right. like there's a lot it's a you know a chapter closing a new one starting and oh it's it's I really wish I could be there. It's going to be very amazing. sweet of you. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited. I'm Everyone excited. else has to go in my place. So <laughs> it's at Birdland. I love, you know, Jim Caruso is amazing. I wanted to, we all wanted to be able to do it at a place that was um, a legitimate jazz club here in New York City. So we just feel very honored and lucky that we're there. Oh, love it. Okay. So we're wrapping up here. But before we say goodbye, we do like to end on a dose of drama, a little something to leave our listeners with, whether it be a recommendation, a thought that's in your mind, something you want to rant about, rave about, share. And there is something that I need to share, something I'm obsessed with, a new song, well, part of a new album by Maggie Rogers, who I love. Love Maggie Rogers. She just dropped a new album. Oh, really? Oh my God. Yes, 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 yes. She dropped it the same day as Beyonce, so there was a lot going on. That's, ooh, that's tough. That's tough. That's, it's, it's really <laughs> tough. I mean, her- I feel, like, I feel like some publicists just dropped the ball. I know. <laughs> a I publicist know. should have been aware of that happening, being like, let's wait a day. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, it's funny, because I don't know if she runs her own socials or if someone else does, which is a relevant conversation, I guess today but um <laughs> they've really they've been sharing memes about like the duality of beyonce versus maggie rogers like listening to both in the same day and kind of jumping around and it's it's a funny interesting way to capitalize on both of these artists releasing new work but the the song of the album for me right now is called anywhere with you and everyone has to listen to it she gave us an instant bop so great. maggie rogers great. love her gotta go listen to anywhere with you and the whole album which is great and so is beyonce's but i i wanted to you know give maggie a shout out dylan are you feeling dramatic today? I am almost drama out. I don't have a lot going on. You've been calling me <laughs> Zen Dylan lately because I've just been in a good yeah, place. Yeah, that's beautiful. He's yeah, Zen, yeah, Bobby. Yeah. It might be that I upped my anxiety meds. Who really knows at the end of the day, Bobby? But could be that. I am looking for book recommendations. So if any listeners out there have any good books they can they can recommend for me to read because I love all genres. I find myself, I've been reading a lot of nonfiction lately, which is huh. something I never thought my 13-year-old self would, would ever want to do. But I've been reading a lot of autobiographies, biographies, things like that. But I need some things to keep me, let me unwind at night before bed. What I, I was just about to recommend to you a nonfiction. Oh, great. Is that okay? Or do you want a fictitious book? Yeah, give me nonfiction. Again, I, I'm, a, I'm a big tennis player. Yes. My favorite book in the world, which was given to me by my um, one of my acting teachers at Michigan, is called The Inner Game of Tennis. Okay. And it's just about how to live in the moment. The tennis is used basically as a metaphor for it, but there's um, an immeasurable number of ways. I'm ho Another thing I'm doing, besides the Birdland, is I'm hosting what used to be the actress fund what is it now called the entertainment community fund they're um golf they have a golf and tennis outing every year to raise money and i'm co-chairing the tennis tournament with liz calloway oh i love liz the first time i did it was during the bronx till days i was invited to do it and it was her and steven schwartz 
And you brought up Norm Lewis. I played with Norm and when we were doing that job in St. Louis and um, these twins, the Nunzietta brothers. And and there's them, a whole yeah. community. There's a whole community of Broadway people that play really well. And so that book is a big one of Stephen Schwartz loves it as well. I think I've seen, I forget it was, if it was a conversation with him and I or in some interview, they talk about how if you're a, if you're a skier, for example, the way you would get better in, in training is you would have to increase the terrain, the the degree in which you're skiing down or, or place rocks or mountains or trees in the way. And that's the only way you'd get better. You shouldn't be hoping, oh, I hope I had a flat part at this time, maybe because you need a break, but you won't get better unless you're challenged or mm-hmm. you're putting yourself in positions where you need to figure it out mm-hmm. just as much uh, in tennis. If uh, I'm playing against a, a counterpart that's really not giving me anything back, I'm not going to succeed. I should be putting myself where I really need to enter a state of flow and say, I'm not going to think about the technicals of how is a ball hitting a racket in real time strings falling over a net at this trajectory. If I think about that, the ball will go in the net. I have to just trust if I have the technique, I'm going to be in flow with whoever I'm playing with and we'll figure out what it is. And then you can extend that to if you're a creative person, if I'm in that big cattle call room for company with 15 of my colleagues who I deeply admire, I shouldn't be hoping that they go in Marianne's room and fuck up or crack on some (laughs) notes or don't know what they're doing. I hope that they go in and kill it Mm -hmm. because it will only force me to step up to some new level and see what I can do because it's all, it's not to, to wish for their misfortune is not in my control to wish for my, my tennis players misfortune for them to double fall does not service me getting better to hope the terrain gets flat and easy does not service me as an athlete. You actually want, things to challenge you because that will only put you in a position to become the more fullest person you can be. Oh, I love and it. So that's, I'd say one chapter of a, of, I think they're like 20 in that book. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up. It's one of my favorites. All right. I Fantastic. love it. Thank you. I appreciate the recommendation. Bobby, you've given us so much today. Do you have an additional dose of drama you want to share or is severance is severance your, uh, I know I can think of another show. <laughs> severance is so good. I just finished watching, uh, the staircase. So good. So good. So and so you watched that documentary before first years ago. Same same with me. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny? I was doing um, Jersey Boys at the Muni when I watched it, and fucking Mark Ballas turned me onto it. <laughs> <laughs> Who I, I I had never met. What a that is a talented talented man has an immeasurable number of talents that we don't even know about, and is very generous. Wow. Were, were you Bob? I was Bob Gaudio, yeah. You're Bob. Oh, you'd be great as Bob. That was my, I mean, that was my dream when I graduated college. I think, okay, with nothing else, I'll move to New York and I'll audition for Jersey Boys. And Jersey Boys announced its closing right when I graduated. And I said, I'll, I'll never work. I'll never get a job. And then funnily enough, I, I, my first big job in New York was a Bronx Tale with all right. these people that had been involved with Jersey Boys, yeah. same producer, music director, choreographer. Um, so it, that felt like a real dream come true to do that mm. at that theater. But the staircase, okay, so do you think he killed her or not? <laughs> this is the drama. This is drama. Something definitely happened that night. And I don't think... He, I think that she, he he pushed her. All right. I think they were fighting or something like that happened. And then, yeah. The phone call, I mean, I don't know. The owl theory is also interesting. But what, what do you think? It's, the, it's for me because the owl theory was not a part of the documentary. It was an add-on right. later that Mark had told me. He's like, you're going to finish this, and then you're going to find out about this owl. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved how this scripted series worked all of this yes. in really masterfully, yes. I thought. It was, it was all these different narratives were existing so fully, and, and Tony Collette. I know. And the, the best part of that series is seeing the different ways that she could have died, how they physicalize them. That was my favorite and it part. shows her technical ability as an actress is incredible to just die in all these different, very um, mechanical ways. I buy into the owl theory. You do. Because I don't understand how she gets those kinds of marks on her head. I know that the series talks later about they after years later they found another person who had been beaten to death by a club that didn't fracture the right. skull. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's so particular. Um, the why are why are, are the micro feathers coming from? I, I know. know. I guess you could find micro feathers anywhere, but that is just such a weird coincidence. Why does she have clumps of of her own hair in her hand? Right. She had to be clearly trying to you know 
She was. It's like she was tasseling something. I've never seen this, and I'm in shock hearing you describe what happened to this to Tony Collette. <laughs> it's funny. I, I mean it, but I agree with Dylan that you watch the documentary first. That's on Netflix. Okay. Because the, the scripted series talks about the making of the documentary. Mm -hmm. Oh. And yeah. but and I never knew that then. Michael started dating the cinematographer and editor of that documentary. That is skewy. And they've taken, they've taken a big issue with that. Like I, I did a little research and her team is very upset. Of, with that. of course she's yeah. going to hate if that's out in the world. My favorite scene, in addition to all of the different, like how could it have played out type things was the dinner at the end when they were all together at like a Mexican restaurant or something like yes. that. I thought that was so yeah. good. Everyone was just delivering in that scene. Well, and it was how, and throughout those eight, eight episodes or whatever, mm -hmm. how his allegiance had fallen from one son to the other. Oh my God, I know. It was wild. Yeah, so uh, good. Uh, I could talk to you about I the, need to watch the thing. It. And the casting was great, too. Yeah, it was, that. I guess that's my drama. And so you're saying, you're saying he killed her. Yeah, and maybe, you know, thinking about it, maybe they got into the fight outside. Maybe she fell into some bushes or something. I don't know. But then, but she was still found at the bottom of the stairs. Right, and then she was going inside to, to, to take a shower. That that scene where he shows the possibility he could have done that, that just happened in a moment and he's choking her out and then he realizes yeah. what he's done wrong and tries to fix it. Yeah. It does, you know, it seems very plausible because he's a pretty wild character. It's hard to, to trust him at face value because he had been lying about so many things. The fact that he had another woman die at the bottom of the stairs in another country years later is just too wild of a coincidence. It's stranger than fiction, you need, right? Connor, you need to watch this thing. There's man. two staircases? There's, it's, you find out that years before, <laughs> there was another woman that he had found dead at the bottom of the stairs. Mm -hmm. What the hell? And this he's is gay. Real. It's all, and he's gay. So it's all real. Yeah, he's yeah, he it comes out that he's bisexual, yeah, and it was bi, a question bi. of whether she knew or not because there was like um, porn or something printed on his she desk found, she or... found his cocky boys subscription. <laughs> Hearing Colin Firth uh, th those scenes, he was like, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ram you hard. Uh -huh. You're like, this is, this is wild, <laughs> I know. wild. You're selling me, well, I'm gonna scene, watch it. I'm gonna we'll cut this, but the scene when he ate her ass in the kitchen was absolutely wild. <laughs> like I said, I will cut this from the episode, but that was, I was like, oh, okay, we're going there you with this show. You should have led with just, that. You should have led with that, I would have watched. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, we gotta let him go. Anyway, Bobby, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. It has been so lovely to meet you and to hear all about your experiences on Broadway and otherwise, and everyone needs to listen to your album and go see you at Birdland. They're gonna have time because this is coming out before. So, mm -hmm. is it like birdland.com to get tickets or just on? I, I think birdlandjazz.com. And yeah, it's, you know, right. it's on it's on my on my social media, yes. Dylan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, we'll, and, and you're just at Bobby underscore Conti. That's right. Okay. Everyone should go and follow you if they're not already. And um, of course, follow us at the Drama Podcast. I'm at Dylan McDowell. Connor's at Connor McDowell. Bobby, you're a dream. We will chat with you more soon. But until then, Connor, I'll see you next time. Drama! Drama.